the thing about this cat, I think, is it knew that. It was keeping this methodical line, which made it completely invisible from the farms and the fair mets. The dogs would never have seen it. That's the first question. Did you take a photo? And so it immediately puts you on the defensive, because when you say no, people say, well, it didn't happen. You're on the back foot of what's your little story. Welcome to Big Cat Conversations. We speak directly to people who've encountered one of Britain's big cats. We also discuss the bigger picture. I'm Rick Minter, and thanks for joining me. Welcome to episode 68 of Big Cat Conversations. Our guests for this show are Jane and Aid, and they are based at a chicken farm enterprise in Nottinghamshire. Between the different family members, there have been about nine different sightings of a large black panther-like cat in the local vicinity over the past two months. In fact, one of those incidents was this very morning as we speak on 18th of January 2022. We're going to hear about some of those sightings and encounters and learn about how Jane and Aid are now more prepared for their new visitor and are more ready to capture any evidence if and when it returns. We're going to be speaking with Jane first about her experiences, then we'll hear from Aid about his separate sightings and his follow-up work, including his use of a thermal camera and trail cameras. First, we welcome Jane. So Jane, thanks very much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, Rick. Okay, Jane, thank you very much. And before we get on to your sightings, before they all happened, a couple of months ago, I think the first one was... What was your view on big cats? Had you heard about encounters and sightings in Britain? And what was your view on the possibility of big cats being around? I'd heard about them. I just thought it was a myth. It was absolute rubbish, really. I was not interested in the slightest. Okay, and it all changed one night a couple of months ago, didn't it? So can you tell us about uh, the first encounter? Yes, the first encounter was eight or nine weeks ago now. It was 11pm at night, around about, and I was coming home from Lincoln and I was travelling down the road that's adjacent to the farm. I saw a cat in the middle of the road looking at me and I just thought, silly cat needs to get off the road. I slowed right down and I came to a halt. I'd got my full beam on and I could see these big green eyes looking at me. And I thought, that's not a normal domestic cat. That is absolutely huge. It was about 240 yards ahead of me. I could see it clearly. It just seemed to look at me for a few seconds while I was looking at it. And then it just turned and stalked off in the opposite direction to the farm. I shot off down the road and back home and said to Aid, you never guess what I just saw. I said, there was a huge cat on the road. I said, I'm sure it was a black panther or something. And he looked at me like I was a bit crackers. That was the end of that sighting. Okay, And nothing had prepared you for it. There'd been no local gossip, nothing in the local papers, no neighbours talking about it. It was a bolt from the blue, was it? It was. We heard nothing in this area at all. Nobody had mentioned anything about big cats. Did it instantly change your view? Did you pretty instantly think, gosh, that's got to be a very large cat like a panther and they do exist sort of thing? Yes, I did. But I was also questioning myself, like, did I see that? Because anybody that I spoke to just looked at me like I was going a bit crackers. I was questioning myself a lot, but I was positive I'd seen something very big. I just had no proof and I couldn't actually explain what it could have been other than a big black panther or something. What was the standout part of that experience? Was it the eye shine or anything about the the form and the size of the animal or, or what? The eyes, they seemed like saucers looking at me and it had a huge long tail which kind of flicked up at the end. I've got three black cats of my own and it looked nothing like my three black cats. It was massive. My cats looked like little dots at that distance. What was it doing? Was it just stationary in the road when you came upon it and saw it in the distance? Yeah, it just seemed to be stood there looking at me. I don't know what on earth it was doing other than staring at me. We just seemed to be having a bit of a staring competition for a few seconds. 
Okay. Well, normally I would spend much longer discussing this first sighting with you, but because we've got other rich pickings, it's the first of four, we can go on to the next one, I think. And it must have been quite a relief to get another one, I suppose, to perhaps confirm, did it, that um, what you'd seen the first time was exactly what you thought it was? Yes. The second time, again, down the same stretch of road, I drive fairly slow down that stretch of road anyway because we have an awful lot of deers tend to run out in front of the car. But this time it was clearly a big, massive black cat shot across in front of my car and it was gone before I even had time to come to a halt. And it was running towards our farm. So I shot down the road, shot onto the farm, raced up the hill to where it was running And I got to the top and I thought, well, I've just made a huge racket. There's not a chance it's going to be here. And it wasn't. I didn't see any more of it that day. That would have been between half past 10 and 11 o'clock again, the the usual time I come back from visiting my family. Yeah, so same stretch road and same sort of time, really. Yes, just going in a different direction this time. And these were both December, were they early December last year, 2021? Yes, they were. And again, I came home and said to Aid, guess what? (laughs) And again, I got a strange look. But second time, he must have hopefully been more positive about it, wasn't he? Uh, No. (laughs) No, Rick, no. (laughs) Still thought I was a bit crackers. Okay, yeah. In fact, you said deer on that road. I guess maybe there's the connection, but we'll come on to that a bit later. So, yeah, well, on to sighting three then. When was that? Was that still in December? It was. That was just before Christmas. And it was by far the best sighting I've had. It, I was just in awe of it. I was sat outside the office on the farm. I was just looking up, up the farm because it goes up a slight hill. And at the corner of my eye, I saw something move. So I had a, a good look and out strolls, stalks, uh, walked like a cat, that big, massive cat, straight across the top of the farm. Never turned and looked at me. It just stalked straight across. I should have got my camera out, but I was stuck to my seat, just looking at it, saying to myself, there's no way, no way aid is going to persuade me that this doesn't exist now. I can see it clearly. I could see its tail. I could see its, the muscles in its legs. I could see everything. I couldn't see its eyes because it was just walking straight across the top. But it was the most stunning, beautiful thing I've ever seen. What kind of attitude or behaviour was it exhibiting? It was prowling. It didn't seem to be going after anything and it wasn't going at any speed. It just seemed to be strolling, for want of a better word. And didn't even look in my direction, Rick. It just walked across the top of the farm and I just sat there looking at it thinking, wow. Yeah, what sort of distance? About 250 yards-ish. And having my cat at the same distance and my cat was a dot, that most certainly was not a dot. I'd probably liken it to the same sort of size as our biggest husky. Yeah, we'll hear about the huskies later on. Yes, it was it was fantastic. Yeah, did you see the tail? Usual question. Or any other key features? Yes, I saw the tail. It was extremely long, far, far longer than a normal domestic cat. Again, it was flicked up at the end. And it was one of those times when I was looking and thinking, am I actually seeing this? Yes, I clearly am. It's there. I'm wide awake. I'm looking at it. That was about eight in the morning. So I was properly awake by that time. How far away was that from the road where you saw it the first two times in the evening? That is about 400 yards, like two fields. Did you instantly think, that's it in daylight? That's the same animal that I had those glimpses of, and this is it in the daylight? Oh, I knew it was. Yeah, I knew it was. I was 100% at that point. Like, yes, I'm the luckiest woman in the world to have seen this three times. When you had this one, 
Were you the only one still? Because I know another family member had had two sightings in total by the time we got to Christmas or so. So were you still the only witness around at this time? I was, yes, gutted, but I was. And I was still not quite getting believed, Rick. Really? Even, yeah, okay. My son was believing me, but Aid was not. Okay. You can nitpick his footage and tell him it's a fox then, can't you, I suppose, to get your own back. (laughs) I did try that. Um, what about um, your emotion? Did he not pick up the fact that you were pretty, presumably you were pretty emotionally affected by all this? Yes, he believed I'd seen something, but I don't think he believed I'd seen a big cat. I think at that point he was trying to fob me off with it. It was probably a badger or a fox, and I was just not seeing what I thought I'd seen. Fair enough. Well, we'll be a bit robust with him in a minute when we hand the phone over. (laughs) On to sighting four. Sighting four, I was out walking my youngest husky and they permanently kept on leads because otherwise they'll do a runner. All of a sudden, she just shot off, growling, barking, nearly took my shoulder out. And I grabbed her back in and I saw something large and black running away. I had no idea what it was. I'm now thinking that that quite possibly because it was it was big i hadn't thought of, that it would actually be on the farm and it wouldn't be around me and my dog but we were very close to that and so i just stood still with with her for a good 10 minutes after that would scuttled off thinking oh if that's something that i don't want it to be i don't want my dog getting mauled and how Convinced were you about the the dog's behaviour? Was it very different from what you were used to? Yes, she'd not run off like that before. She was only about seven months old and she was quite well behaved. I put a lot of time into training her and getting her to walk nicely. And I got her walking really nice. But that day she just shot round the corner of the shed and it was there and I yeah, I was like, whoa, what on earth is that? I think the way she shot at it, she startled whatever it was as well. Not only did she startle me, she startled it. Yeah. Another family member has seen it twice before we get on to aid sightings. Is that right? That's my son, Luke. Oh, okay, yeah. And so what happened with his ones? He was up on the top of the farm was just looking around with his thermals and he said there was a big black creature ran across the top of one of the fields at a speed he's never seen anything wrong before. And he couldn't think what else it could be other than something like a big cat? No, because by then I told him about my sightings as well. He said, that had to be your cat. He said the speed it got across the field He's seen the horses running across the field with the thermals and he said they were slow in comparison. It just shot across there at a ridiculous speed and he thought, whoa. Yeah, did he have it on record? No, it was Aid's new toy at that point and he hadn't quite worked out what to do. Okay. And his second sighting was what? That was also him driving to our house. He got here and he said... I'm sure I've seen a big cat. And we were like, "Uh, really? And he said, yeah, it was running down the road. I was getting a bit excited because I felt a bit validated. But Aid was still poo-pooing the idea and thinking that at this point, both me and my son are a bit mad. (laughs) But again, presumably you were all emotionally, both you and your son, you, you were emotionally affected. It was getting the adrenaline flowing and sort of thing? At this point, I'd got very excited and I had decided that big cats are definitely not a myth and they can literally be in your back garden. We have a big back garden, but they're still walking across it. Why do you think it's around, Jane? Do you think it's that there's plenty of deer and hare and natural prey or do you think the chicken farm itself can be smelt? We've been discussing in the episode just gone, actually, that cats do not have 
that good sense of smell. It's, you know, it's it's okay, but it's nothing like a dog's and it's not one of their greatest senses. But obviously, I imagine chicken farms do have a bit of a smell locally. They can smell a bit pungent. And we actually have about five chicken farms within a 10-mile radius. Okay. So I think even something with not a very good sense of smell could smell the poultry farms. They can get quite smelly. So we've got them all round us as well as ours. Yeah, I would have thought most creatures would be able to smell them. We do get a lot of wildlife, but... Also, we have noticed a decline in wildlife. It's gone down in the last few weeks because we used to get a lot of rabbits and hares and and no, not so much now. Before we hand over to Aid, what's your overriding sort of impression of the cat? Does it feel healthy, fit, confident? What's your view of it? Oh, it looked perfectly healthy, Vic. It was... There was nothing in my mind to say it, it looked anything other than a perfectly healthy, large black panther. Yeah, it was just strutting its stuff. And if somebody said to you, uh, I'm sorry, but we've got to come and visit the farm to eradicate it and take it away, either dispatch it or take it to a wildlife park and you know trap it and remove it, what would your view be? you got to find us first. I would not let anybody come and take it. It's not doing any harm. It's it looks like it's loving life and it needs to be left alone. It looks perfectly happy. It hasn't bothered you and it's not going to bother you. That's your perception, is it? It's not bothered us at all. From what I've read, it would know that I was sat there watching it and it didn't even give me a glance. Is there anything that could change your mind? If it was hassling you in some way, if the dogs were playing up a lot or you saw it with a neighbour's um, cat in its mouth or something, are there things that could change your mind about it? Only if it was attacking humans, which from what I've read and been told, they don't do. It's unlikely to get anywhere near our dogs because we've got a, quite a few behind an electric fence, so they're safe enough. Yeah, as far as my feelings are concerned, Leave it. It looks happy and it's not hurting us. Are you careful about who you discuss it with, Jane, because you feel you've got to be careful about the consequences of, of letting it slip about um, where it is and what it's doing? Yes, I wouldn't tell somebody I didn't know where it was. I don't trust some humans, so I would never want it publicised as to where it was. Yeah, I mean, it's very good of you to come on the podcast and discuss it because we're saying Nottinghamshire, obviously that doesn't narrow it down much. And obviously we're all learning at this together, so we learn through witnesses. But it is interesting how often people who see them quite close up and feel they may be starting to live alongside it sometimes are okay, if not positive, about them. You're from farming sector and you're saying that, so it's interesting to get that perspective. I feel privileged really privileged. And to some extent, I gather it's a sort of big learning curve that you find interesting. Um, you're not just learning because you feel you got to, you're actually, you're finding it intriguing learning about them, I gather, you and Aid. Yes, it's really exciting. And I've learned an awful lot about big cats. And every day is a school day, and we've got an awful lot more to learn. But it's, it's fantastic. Are you toying with the idea of setting up a, a local Facebook group, aren't you, to swap notes with people? I am, yes, because since we've been asking around, we've heard of a lot of sightings in this area, which we were totally unaware of. So I'm thinking if we've already been told of a few just by word of mouth, there must be a lot of sightings out there. Yeah. You can understand why people keep it quiet, though, can't you? Oh, yes. Yes, I can. Yes, I'd never ask somebody to disclose where it was, but I would be very interested to hear of their experiences as well. OK, well, good luck and thanks for being part of the show and thanks for sharing those experiences with us. And now on to, to aid the big sceptic, I gather. <laughs> <laughs> that is how I started, yes, Rick. I hope you've eaten humble pie uh, suitably since Several times over. <laughs> well, thanks for coming on, Aid, and thanks for keeping in touch. I know you actually 
been in touch with some people on Facebook as well. I'm sure they appreciated that as well. And we're going to hear about your thermal camera work. First of all, let's just um, let you reflect on the sightings that were building up within the family before you'd seen it. Why were you quite stubborn in in not quite believing Jane and um, Jane's son? I'm one of these, if I don't see it from my own eyes, it didn't happen, Rick. That's a bit brutal, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, I'd never heard of a big cat round here. I'd heard the stories of the Beast of Bodmin and... So I thought it was just down on Dartmoor and Exmoor, possibly. And I thought, it's too populated around here with farms and dog walkers. So, yes, I have hit humble pie quite a few times since, and I have apologised as well, Rick. Good stuff. Good to hear that. Yeah, so <laughs> the first time you saw it was um, after Jane's four sightings, wasn't it? And you just saw a head, first of all. Is that right? Yeah, so we have to do a night check on the farm every night to make sure everything's running fine. And I was coming past the top shed, so I'd finished all the sheds, I'd just come out, and we've got a cat called Runt, and she often follows me on these night checks, stays outside the shed while I look in, and then she comes back out and follows me. And I scanned around with the thermal, didn't see her, scanned back to the, the direction I was walking and I saw a big round head going in some grass. And I thought, oh, there's Runt. And something clicked in my head. So I panned back round, saw there's Runt. Panned back to the grass and it's at that point I realised this grass is waist height at its highest. But the cat's head had disappeared then. But that was, yeah, I was a firm believer then I was, Rick. That cemented Jane's stories for me. How far away was that? Seven, eight foot at the most. Really close. Yeah, I was on the track, the gravel track, and the grass verges at the side. It used to get cut for hay, but this year it's not been cut. It's been left alone, and it just disappeared. There's a house, ooh, 400 feet away from where I saw it. And the road that Jane's seen it on is just adjacent. So, yeah, everything rang true at that precise moment. It was like an alarm bell going off in my head, Rick. Did you hear it at all, being that close? No. It is stealthy. I heard nothing. It was a damp night, but no. I tried to look for moving grass and I couldn't see anything. It just, it's as if it just vanished. Okay. What do you think it was doing? Um, the direction it came from, it's come from one of the na- nature reserves and there's three lakes there. So I'm assuming that it came from that direction and it was heading to its lie-down spot. So I, I really don't know, Rick. It was avoiding me, I know that. Yeah, and what about your cat? Did she, is there any sign that it, it was aware of, of it? Whether it's because I was stood still, she had just sat down and was looking in the direction of the grass, which she often does because she's a farm cat. She's always bringing us mice and rats. I thought she'd maybe heard something, but it didn't click until when I got home and I started putting all these thoughts, started thinking slow and rationally. And, yeah, I do believe she did hear it. She is presumably at risk, actually. If she's a wanderer, she could be at risk from the big one. Jane has started keeping her in a lot more, to be honest, Rick. I think it's a good idea. Yeah. So that was it then. You told Jane that you had seen what you thought was the cat and made up with her. And apologised, yes. <laughs> yeah, so the next time you saw it, you had the thermal camera and that's the first bit of footage that you got. Is that right? You were out and you saw it and you had the thermal camera with you. Yeah, I was was just scouting for hares. There was nothing about. So I went for a little wander onto the next field and then panned to the right, saw this big black creature. And I've seen it all now through the thermal. Foxes, monk jack, rodeo, badgers, hares, rabbits, mice, everything. And this, I just froze. I was in awe and... That's a bit unlike me. I've served a long time in the army as an infantry soldier, so nothing really phases me. But, yes, 
I still can't explain why I froze. It's one of the first times in my life, Rick. I just did not understand what it was. But then the difference is you freezing. You did have the thermal camera on pointing at it. So we'll forgive you for freezing because a lot of people freeze and they don't get their mobile phone out. But you, in a way, you know, you were poised and ready because the thermal camera was there and on already. Yes, and then I just hit the record button and I was determined to stay the night out with what's called a black hot mode, whereas I usually use the white hot mode. And black hot evidently means heat signatures come up black. Yeah, it was obviously black in the screen. I was dumbfounded, Rick, and I still am. I still in awe and a bit shock of that sighting, how close it was. I um, first did a noise to attract the foxes, a little squeak, and there was nothing from it. No, it didn't register me one bit. My next thought was dog. So I whistled, said, here, boy, nothing. So that ruled them two out, and then my mind's really thinking at this stage, and it just clicked to stay as stay as still as you can and just record it. And that was the best I could do, Rick. It was a very overcast night, very dark. Without my night vision or my thermal, there was, there was no chance of seeing anything that night. Not a thing. How uh, you know good that you had the thermal and it's a good, decent bit of kit by the looks of things from the, from the material you get. I think what... Um, strikes me about that bit of footage is that you can see the very deliberate purposeful unwavering walk movement of the animal which is very cat-like if somebody was going to say it was a fox or a dog or a deer it hasn't really got those behavior modes that those animals can exhibit it just walks in a straight line purposefully seems to be a big heavy animal it's a shame you can't see the profile in a classic way that we would ideally like but i think yes. there's enough in it to well you tell us so you quickly ruled out the other options and you were pretty sure it was the animal that you know jane had seen and you'd seen the head of were you yes yes it was more right then i'm going to try and follow this so when it got to the tree line that's when i cut across the field and i normally never cut across the fields out of respect for the farmers and i was cursing myself a little while i was doing it as it got to the tree line, I dashed across the field, got to the tree line, got myself a good position to look at the three fields behind the tree line. Um, there's a small copse to the left on the left-hand field. The field in the centre is arable, same as the one on the right, and there was no visible sign. Um, the hedgerows are quite low there and sporadic, so... Even the thermal could pick an animal going in between them in the gaps, but there was nothing. And then all of a sudden, in this hamlet of five houses, it was as if all the dogs, for some reason, started barking at the same time. I'm often out at night, and I've never heard nothing like that, Rick. It was loud. It was very loud, these dogs barking. Something had spooked them. Watching it... What was your standout impression? Was it the movement, the unwavering, purposeful movement, or anything else? It was the focus of the animal. Foxes can be quite scatty, sniffing here, there, and everywhere. Deer can be scatty, but for fearful reasons, stopping, looking about, and then travelling on. But this, it owned the land. I've joked with Jane that I own the night now with my thermal and my night vision, but... That animal had me hands down beat, Rick. It's confidence. Yes. That's exactly it, Rick. Confidence, yes. Yeah, you never know how often it's been before and you just were completely unaware of, of it. That's the point. And all of these occasions now, you're all sure, are you, that it is the same animal? There's not more than one. It's all always the same size, is it, you think? My sightings have always been the same size, roughly what Jane described. So, yeah, we believe it is the one round here. There's several watering holes, lots of prey for it, culverts to hide in. It's got good territory round here. Although it is sort of Fenland 
relatively featureless compared to a lot of countryside. I don't mean that in an unkind way, but it, it's not sort of classic a big cat country that you might think. But of course, it, you were showing me some of the the landscape footage on your phone camera. And actually, the, there's nice, wide, shaggy headlands in the fields, aren't there, where the deer would congregate and where you'd get rabbits and small mammals and yes. hares. So there's lots of there's lots of nice bits of cover. Yeah, oh, plenty. Yeah, and as you said, the nature reserve, would, and that would have water birds around it on the edges of it if it's got lakes, I guess, at the moment. Yes, ducks, geese. All sorts on there at the minute, Rick. We can often hear them in the morning making a racket. Back to the scale of it, um, Aid. Compared to a dog, what would the scale be, do you think? We've got a freakishly large husky. He's 37 kilograms. He's taller than the standard breed. He's, he's just a freak of a dog. And this cat is at least his size, if not a little bit taller. Definitely longer. And the head on the animal is huge. I've never been to the zoo to see big cats before, but we've got a visit booked now, we have. Okay, to one that's got black panthers like a black jaguar or black leopard, hopefully. Yes, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, so did you see the tail well? One of the problems with your first bit of footage, not only do we not see the classic sort of elongated panther profile, although we see a very suspicious blob of an animal walking like a big cat you've proved the scale we'll come on to that in a minute but did you see the the tail the tail doesn't stand out much in that bit of footage but did you see it well no to be honest rick i was focused more on the head and the shape and eliminating other animals that are no live around this area and it was just it was too circular not a fox not a deer not a badger again it was too circular and it was just puzzling me. It really was. Okay. And in terms of scaling, doing some scale reference for that footage, it was Jane with a, walking it with a husky the next night or two or three nights later in the same situation, you standing on the same spot and she walking pretty much as far as you could manage to work out where that animal was walking. What were your impressions having done that? It wasn't a dog. It wasn't a fox. Jane even looked small. So, and that creature looked a good size on the first video. It confirmed to me that it was a big cat. The way the dog walked, hell of a difference between what we'd now call Jane's cat. Uh, okay. <laughs> yes. And, of course, that um, hedgerow feature behind the footage is actually more like a windbreak hedge feature, isn't it, with the mature trees so i think people could be put off by thinking oh it's only a dot behind a normal size hedgerow behind it's not that at all there are some tall trees there one of them's at least 44 so yeah they are a good size great and i should say a big thanks from me and the listeners because i know you've granted us permission to put your thermal camera snippets up on the website so people can see it under this episode on the refs and links part of uh, big cat conversations website we can all make our own judgments of it it is so nice to have some decent quality thermal camera footage to look at and to um, consider Quickly, before we move on with the piece of footage you got this morning, can you just tell us about the thermal camera? It does look a a very decent one. So it's a Pulsar Axion XQ30S. And, yeah, it's small and compact. There's obviously better. There's obviously worse out there. But for me, I love it, Rick. Um, I used to go out at least two, three times a week just going out for hairs. But now... I often last night I was out for nearly seven hours just walking around with the thermo, and ever since I've got it, I just enjoy walking around, spotting what's about. Yeah, and this has really uh, had some added value <laughs> with it. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. I know that people with thermal cameras agonise about what colour settings to put them on, but you found that watching this animal, the black having it black rather than white in terms of its heat signature, is perhaps better, you reckon? Yes, it, it stands out. I go for white tot and it picks up the mice and the rats a lot easier. But for something large, black cot is it's more easily identifiable, Rick. You can see it straight away. 
Do you use it in the daytime, by the way? Because thermal cameras do show up things in the daytime that you might miss. Oh, yeah. We've walked the dogs with it today. We've been in the chicken sheds with it. We've took it everywhere, basically, haven't we? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. What's impressed me about the footage is that it's quite a distance and uh, you don't appear to be shaking too much. I think everybody shakes a bit. You know, we're holding a camera. (laughs) But have you got a mono sort of stand? You know, one of those mono tripod things for it? No. So I try and form a good grip, both elbows on my waist and then both hands on the camera and my hands are on my face, keeping it still. More points of contact, the steadier it is, Rick. That's my belief. And that says you're carrying a big stick around with it, which is a bit clunky and clumsy and awkward, I suppose. And can make noise, yes. You've only had it relatively recently as well, isn't it? Yeah, we got it in August, but the trouble is, it's already thinking of upgrading, and Jane's looking at me already. (laughs) Not discuss that topic, Rick. A lot of pocket money to be spent there then. Yes, yes. Not cheap at all. But it's good enough to do a reasonable job. You've got something which is actually providing a very interesting talking point for us, I think. I showed the, uh, the new footage you got this morning to my partner just before I came on setting up for this episode and thought I'd use her as a bit of a yardstick for a person who is not that interested and who's not that anoraki and... Yeah, yeah. takes a lot to be impressed at something and she you know she she hasn't got the patience she looked at it for two or three seconds and she said oh yeah that's interesting possibly but it's a blob in the distance and it could be a fox you've got to pass that sort of barrier and i think you know that basically there's a lot of doubters out there yeah it's whether it's influential you know i think it could be influential to people who know what they're looking at and who have spent far too long looking at videos of these animals at all angles <laughs> all distances and of course my view is totally irrelevant because people although i try to be objective people will regard me as biased anyway so i tend to think my view doesn't count anyway <laughs> there we go so incredible timing because today on my whatsapp you sent me a another bit of video footage which I took great interest in and thought, brilliant timing. Let's have Aid explain this um, on the podcast tonight. So here goes. This was this morning and you were out. What sort of time was it and, and what happened? We had Jane's mother's day over last night and we was all chatting. We finished chatting at about 11 o'clock. I looked outside because I wanted to look at the wolf moon and I went outside and it was white everywhere and I love cold temperatures. So I said to Jane, right and Jane, I'm off for a walk, made my flask, put a few bit of food in my rucksack and first I started going at the back of the farm. So I was out from 11 o'clock and I was just about to go in. I think this footage was around 4am and it's only 10 minutes away from my house. I thought the night was over, glimpsed something walking up on the road behind the tree line and just started recording it. And what got me was the way it squatted to have a pee. All our cats are female and it just reminded me of them. And then that's it. I thought, oh, this could be the cat again. So hit record and that's the video we've got. It's not the same part of the road that Jane saw the cat on, but it is actually the same road. So it is using it as a highway. It really is. I'm a full believer now. That's a clue to where to put at least one of your trail cameras. We'll come on to that in a minute. The footage, uh, and again, thank you for allowing us to see this one that we'll put on the website as well. And it's it's just the other side of the straggly, woody hedge feature isn't it but you can see it at times quite well through the trees yes clear as day quite a large animal that hedge line there is slightly taller than me and i'm five foot ten so it does give a good indication of its size as well it was definitely the size that caught my attention to start with it was a bit too far to record at first so when it got closer, that's when I hit the record button. And then the size, yeah, I thought, that's definitely something big. And then when it squatted, that was the moment a light bulb went in my head. That's our cat, or Jane's cat, as we now refer to it. 
once it took the right hand bend on the road and walked up, I tried to dash after it, but it had gone again, Rick. I'm in boots anyway, so I'm going to be clonking along and it, it was just going to hear me and be gone. Is that the direction to the nature reserve that way? No, actually, Rick, that's coming from a fishing lake two miles down the road, another water source. Okay, yeah. And the distance you were from this one that you filmed this morning, what sort of distance? Four, five hundred foot, Rick. I didn't have my rangefinder on, so it's just an accurate guess. But no more than 500 feet. It was also walking with determination and confidence. It knew where it was going, Rick. Foxes here, there and everywhere using the nose. But not that. It knew where it was going. And it was going in the same direction as Jane when Jane saw it walk along the farm. Okay. Yeah. How did you feel emotionally this morning when you filmed it? Again, lucky. Um, I wanted to phone Jane, but I knew she was asleep, so... You have to contain the excitement within yourself. And it's a bit of a letdown, to be honest. You want to share it. I want to tell her I've seen a cat again. But I had to wait until this morning. And then I was all giddy and excited like Christmas Day, Rick. Brilliant. Great. I I remember Frank Tunbridge, who we just had on the previous episode, he got a call from a witness once about 1am, you know, got woken up at night because the witness just had to phone somebody and found him on the web and (laughs) started talking. And Frank didn't mind one bit. I think Frank was almost as excited as the witness because obviously it's part of our lives, this sort of thing. And to share and help, (laughs) you know, and discuss things and share people's excitement is, is rather nice. It's all part of it. So, But, of course, you've still got to be objective as well. So, wow, yeah, well, well done. I mean, and thanks again for sharing. It's so valuable for people to be able to see these things and, and um, make their own judgment and, and just watch the behaviour. As you say, it's sort of owning its location. It's owning its situation without bothering us. Yes, <laughs> yeah. Good stuff. Okay, so in terms of you following up and um, using trail cameras, how are you thinking about setting out the trail cameras? What kind of um, tactics are, are you deploying? We've got six. We've got two up near the runway where Jane saw the sighting, and I've got several plastic tubs, with, and I've pierced the lid and put catnip on, and I've hung them upside down on tree branches so the cameras get a good view of them two up on the runway, and then I've got down on the bottom of the farm. They're facing our land, but also the road as well, where I had this morning sighting. I know trail cameras are a bit hit and miss, but if I don't put them out, I'll never know, Rick. That's my opinion. Presumably you're going to move one to this location where you filmed it this morning, are you? If you can, if it's safe to do so and... Yes, I've got to find a suitable position to put it in, but I'm definitely going to move one, Rick. Um, we have a lot of horse riders there, and we've had a lot of problems lately with people hair-coursing. On our farm, I don't mind the cameras, but on other people's, they're only 50 quid, but still, it's a lot of money to lose, Rick. Yeah, there's a lot of things to consider. Once you start doing it practically, all of those bits of hassle kick in, and you it's more difficult than you think, actually. Yes, you begin to worry. Yes, you do. Also, the current weather we're having with this frosty, misty, freezing fog type weather and the scotch mist type weather, it's not good for the cameras. I've just got one in a neighbouring field and it's just playing up because of the the moisture, the dampness overnight. I mean, I, I think it can, in time, that can get to any camera and you have to bring it in and put it in the airing cupboard or over a radiator for a day to dry out and see if it's going to work again. But, um, you know, they can misbehave yeah. with this relentless dampness, winter dampness. That's the other problem. I've only been back once to check on them, but I dried all the contacts, changed the batteries... Just give it a good dry rub down just to preserve the life of it. What other ways? Are you are you just looking for signs and tree scratches and, and footprints and that sort of thing? Has it made you more alert, both of you? Oh, definitely, yeah. So I'm more of the gung-ho type and Jane's the studier. So whatever Jane learns, she tells me and then I can go out in the fields and put it to practice and I'll try and look for these signs, Rick. Yeah. It can be much more difficult than you think. Although I would say 
the winter sort of soggy conditions, if you're going to get a footprint, you might get it in the current weather conditions, but they're more difficult than you think. And this one this morning was walking along a road anyway, so you're presumably not going to get any footprints there unless it wandered off the edge. No, and it was quite icy, patches of ice and frost on the road, and there was nothing there, Rick, nothing that I could see. I had my bright torch on, and I couldn't find anything, Rick. I was saying to Jane about carcasses, you know, deer carcasses, obviously rabbits and hares, you know, their carcasses are not much to find and um, not much to investigate. But if you get something like a deer carcass, then that will be interesting if it's suspicious and all clinically eaten out and fresh. So there's always that potential. You have Munchak and other deer around? Munchak and roe deer around here we do, yes. They're in the copses a mile or so from our house. There's several dotted areas of woodland around here so that's where i think it would all be the carcasses yeah when we first spoke you were asking about their layup spots and that sort of thing and i went through the sort of standard general types what do you reckon it's are there any old dilapidated abandoned old buildings or fallen down trees or no okay so yeah we've got a few fallen down trees and there's a few trees with a few hollows in Big patches of brambles? What about big patches of brambles around? You know, those are suitable. No, they tend to get cut down. We've just got mainly arable fields with the hedges round, a few rivers round here that go in between the fields, and then all the woodland, small dotted areas of woodland, nothing large, more like copses. Okay. It is just very intriguing that you guys have seen it several times within, what, two months, isn't it? I mean, because your first footage and sighting, proper sighting, was in first week of January, is that right? Yes, that's right, yes. And ever since then, I've been out four nights a week trying to get more footage, and this morning was the first time since. So I know how hard it is. You've had several, what, eight or nine now sightings between you in two months. That's pretty good going, to be honest. It might all stop you know, now for, forever, or you might just be intervals, rare, odd occasions in the future. It's so difficult to know. What about the alertness? Do you enjoy the fact that it's sort of made you more alert and more observant? Is that all good? I guess as a sort of ex-soldier, then you're pretty much like that anyway. How do you find that? I like to think I can observe things quite well. and But yeah, I've, I've stepped up my game completely now. Whereas before, maybe take 10 steps and stop. Now it's every five steps, stop, look, listen. I'm watching my foot fall a lot better now. Yeah, I've changed my game slightly. And the thermal camera is transformed things, really, because it, it's seeing things that you wouldn't otherwise notice day and night, presumably. It's a game changer. With my night vision on my air rifle, you can maybe see seven, 800 metres and you only get the reflection of the eye at that distance. They have to be a lot closer to identify it. But the thermal, I can pick up things 900 metres. I can't tell what it is, but I know it's there. And then 600 metres, we start getting into the realms of visibility and identification. So if you upgraded your thermal, it would just give you more clarity at a longer distance, and that would be the reason for doing it, would it? Yes, I'm looking at Pulsar's binoculars, but again, Jane's looking at me. You're getting me into trouble here, Rick. Okay, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> You're all right, but yeah, that would ideally be my next step up, some binoculars. Well, we could all chip in for you, couldn't we, if we're going to enjoy the resulting footage? <laughs> We'd need a lot of people, Rick. <laughs> OK, yeah, well, good luck. Yeah, and, and of course, they've got a recording function, haven't they? Yes, yes, they have, yes. It's sort of cost-benefit, isn't it? What's the cost versus the benefit? And of course, if you get really crisp, clear footage at a distance, I mean, that's a, that's a lovely prize to, to have. And also, the one we've got has brought Jane out a lot more. She's curious to see what's happening out in the fields now. So it's, it's been good for her. We've bonded a lot more through Lovely. it. And I know that sounds daft, but yeah. And you were telling me you, you enjoy watching owls. I mean, how lovely to see, uh, if you've got the owls locally, to see them uh, through the thermal. Yeah, I can just sit down, plonk my bum on anything, a puddle anything. I just plonk where I am and I'll sit and watch for 10 minutes. I once watched... 
two young fox cubs playing along the headline of the top field where my first video was. They were playing together, they're chasing hares. It was just fantastic. They were like puppies playing, and I'll never forget that night, Rick, never. Well, I think you showed that to me, and it is, it's lovely, and I did show that to my other half, and she absolutely loved it. Oh, good. Yeah, real sort of entertainment, isn't it? And it's funny how at that age they're prepared to expend that energy, aren't they, for a fruitless exercise, whereas when if they're a bit older they would know not to bother and to just contain themselves when they have got a chance for snaffling the prey. Yeah, when they're older, it's all about work with foxes, I think. But no, they were definitely not working. Absolutely, just exploring and learning. Yeah. Well, can we come on to to bigger dogs? Because I mean, we ought to take the chance to ask you about your huskies. And normally, I ask about dog behaviour. And with you guys, it's the dog behaviour is a pack of huskies. So, before we got on to the huskies themselves, is there any other time when they have reacted other than that one incident with Jane, when you guys have been suspicious and thought, "Hang on, they they might be sensing the cat." Since summer, we've never really noticed it since summer. We've They're escapees, so we've got a 10-foot chain-link fence around, and then on the inside of that, we've got a little cattle electric fence. And just after the end of summer, was it? Yeah. They all go up to the back of the garden. They're all lined up, and they're looking at the farm. They're, they're stiff, rigid tails, no heckles, but rigid tails, ears are moving slightly, left, right, left, right. They picked something up, and there's nine of them doing it, Rick. They're on to something, but I didn't have the thermal then, and we didn't know about the big cat. So we just thought, oh, maybe a fox is crossing the farm. But I've since been out and watched foxes cross the farm. I phoned Jane up, and I've asked her to go and look at the dogs, and no, they're still playing in the garden. So I don't believe a fox gets them like that, Rick. So that was grounds for suspicion? Yes, and now we're putting two and two together and hopefully coming up with four and not five. It's interesting whether the cat would sense them and be a bit more wary, actually, but um, I presume because they're not loose and they're not... Presumably they're not that noisy, are they, other than very locally? Every now and again they'll have a communal howl, but no... They were just staring and focused, rigid. You, I could go up to them and you wouldn't be able to push them over. They are stuck to the floor, rigid. Really are. Okay. Yeah, so you're now watching them sometimes to see their alertness and their behaviour, to see if that's making you suspicious, to see if they're picking up the cat, presumably. Yes. A dryland mushed them, so... One of them's a bit too old, so the biggest team I possibly could have is eight. And we've chased foxes, and I've tried to tell them to stop while slamming the brakes on my cart, and they just go. So I'd I'd hate to think what would happen if they did see a big cat. All the the local landscape and the local sort of tracks is um, what you've um, worked them on. The evenings when you go out, you're not disturbing anybody, so it's an ideal uh, situation, isn't it? Yes, the local landowners all wave and smile as I go past. I'm lit up like Blackpool Illuminations for safety reasons, just in case there are dog walkers. Though the cat would hear us, the footfall of eight huskies is quite loud at times. And then all the equipment in my cart, the water, the water bowls, spare equipment in case of failures, we're making quite a racket, so I think it would be off well before. You rescued one and then it grew from there, is that right? Yeah, so we enjoy camping. All our holidays are in the national parks and we wanted a dog after losing our last dog, an outdoor dog. And Jane saw Nala and it happened to be in the same rescue centre she got a previous dog from who had died a few weeks before. And that was it. Jane said, yeah, we're having this one. And it turns out, Nala, when the rescue found her, she was quite emaciated, covered in dry blood, and they estimated she'd been living wild for two or three months with a condition. That girl has got one hell of a prey drive. She really has. And that would explain it, Rick. Well, one of the reasons, at least. Before 1914, the natives in Russia... They used to let their huskies go in the summer. 
and to fend for themselves. And that's why they've got a high prey drive. And it was almost instinctive in winter when there was no food about. They'd go back to the villagers, work for the villagers, and that cycle just repeated itself for hundreds of years. And that's how they can look after themselves. Makes it more of a challenge for owners, though. Presumably you, you have to contain them and be very wary of their capabilities. And yeah, so it's a big responsibility, I guess. Yeah, we've got GPS trackers on four of the main gang leaders because the others will follow, and that's a subscription service. And before we put the fencing up, the GPSs came in wonderful when they dug under wooden fences, things like jumped over wooden fences. Yeah, there was ideal the GPS trackers are. We wouldn't go anywhere without them now. Are they quite hierarchical in their pack behaviour? Oh, Nala. Yeah, she's the boss. She's not just with our pack. We was on holiday in Wales once and a woman let her dog go. This dog was running up to Nala. Nala was sat down. She just turned, glanced, and the dog scarpered. There's something about that girl that, yeah, no dogs met. She's not violent at all towards other dogs. She'll... It's a look and a slight growl, and dogs understand her, and they back off. Yeah, so a big part of your life, the Huskies. Just our pets. We love them, and, yeah, we don't want people to know where we are because we're all dog thefts as well, Rick, so we don't really tell that many people we have nine Huskies. People would think we were mad anyway if we told them that, Rick. <laughs> well, and also, they're a, a yardstick on scale for us. We'll be able to see a couple of the the scale references with Jane walking one because it's going to be so helpful to see that. Got tomorrow off, so that was our plan for tomorrow morning to go and replicate the videos and then send them straight to you, Rick. Brilliant. That's going to be great. So uh, look forward to seeing that. Okay, to finish off with, could we have a bit about your attitudes and you know how emotionally this has affected you? We gather from Jane that she feels pretty protective about the animal she sees no reason to bother it it's not bothering you guys and you're coexisting with it what's your what's your attitude to this animal i think it's got every right to be here just as much as we have as we're all arable. it's not doing harm to cattle just let it be let it be it's exciting rick it really is Gives me another reason to go out at night. Yeah, so you see it all positive and healthy and it's all good for the body and soul, all of this, being outdoors and thinking about nature and tracking and being alert. Yeah, it does. It, you can forget all your home worries, your bills, your work life. It's just, ah, relax and watch the world as it was made. Yeah, yeah. Same question as I put to Jane, really. Say, you know, you knew it had um, taken one of your cats or it had done something that it was misbehaving somehow. Do you think your attitude could be influenced and be changed if it did um, overstep the line somehow? No. We're aware it's around now, so we've just got to take extra precautions. Jane keeps the cat in. She's even talked about getting a cat GPS. We'll work around it, Rick best as we can we don't want to disturb it i'd like to film it more but i definitely don't want to disturb it this filming it and the thermal camera the trail cameras is a chance to learn again that same question as i put to jane if you had some authority for whatever reason said to you now come on guys you've got to help us um, eradicate it eliminate it we can't have it locally how would you feel First off, I don't think the landowner would be happy because he's very curious about it as well. And, yeah, we wouldn't tell anyone. I know the landowner wouldn't tell anyone. We'd just tell them to go away politely. <laughs> well, that is pretty much the same attitude we had from other farmers and landowners. We haven't had that many, but we have had some. There's one exception where we have had some representatives of, of farmers in Scotland who've had you know just too much sheep killing. I mean, they'd be very reasonable and very understanding. Yes. They're not looking to get angry with it. They're just fed up with too much sheep killing. It's overstepped the mark. Yes, very understandable. We've got to learn about ways of coping with that and helping those people, I think, those of us interested in the subject. So I, I think the fact that 
people like you who may see it more and who are sort of living alongside it as long as it hangs around uh, your area from time to time you know you have got the chance to help learn about it and it's great that you're prepared to share that and let's hope you do get some more chance to see it of course it could just be that it moves on and you may just see it occasionally or sense the dogs are picking it up occasionally anyway as far as you're concerned it's all time worth investing in learning about your local natural world around you anyway yeah it's just a learning curve i like being out anyway and it just gives me an extra reason good stuff well i think we're more or less done so anything finally you'd like to say when jane told me i was a diehard disbeliever completely but the more research you look at the more videos the more stories you hear don't fob it off straight away like i did which was very naive i admit that now just think about it a little and do your research and they are out there they are thank you for that a final point actually back to you just say that you and jane never see it again it strikes me that you're you're very keen to see it again in the right circumstances but you'd be pretty disappointed if you didn't have any further encounters wouldn't you i'm guessing oh definitely yeah yeah it's we had a busy life anyway and it's just added to a more hectic life <laughs> a loss of sleep it sounds like <laughs> yes so money to get a cat nap in the morning that's what i do rick <laughs> yeah jane was saying about that the smell the chicken farm smell or to get your perspective do you think that is quite a draw it's obviously got a wider territory but do you think that the smell is part of why it's there yes towards the end of the crop when the chickens are older the smell there's a venting system that goes out in the roof and it is strong you can smell it in the village you can smell it in the next village it does get about a bit rick yeah so it could well be part of the draw to bring it there even though there's hares and deer around as well possibly and we've got a good few water sources around here as well rick yeah okay great well thanks ever so much and thanks to Jane, I don't know whether she's still listening, but do pass on our thanks. So good that we've got some um, thermal camera footage to look at and a good advert for Pulsar. <laughs> yeah, well, Alan in Gloucestershire, he has just bought a Pulsar. We've all been um, thinking about what thermal cameras to buy with our pocket money if our other halves allow us. <laughs> they are very good quality, Rick, very good. Uh, I've been looking at the, um, what is it, uh, the Guide IR50. That's on my list, but um, I don't think I'll get permission to get that for a long while. But um, <laughs> there's plenty of YouTube, you know, comparison uh, things to watch and discuss on those. I think you proved that it's worthwhile, you know, you, that they can do the business. They are a game changer. Yeah, good stuff. Yeah. Mm. Well, Aid, thanks ever so much for coming on the show. Thanks ever so much for sharing your thoughts with listeners and the footage. And we'll enjoy watching that. And uh, Maybe you'll get something else that we'll put up as well. So, uh, Fingers crossed. Yeah, get out there. Yeah, I will. Uh, Brilliant. Thanks ever so much for coming on the show. All the best. No worries, Rick. Thank you for having us. Okay, I hope you find the video clips from Aid useful that we have put on the website under episode 68. And just to emphasise that they are worth watching carefully all the way through, so you can get the best sense of the animal's form and its movement. To stick with the thermal camera theme, Aid's suggestion for our word of the week is thermography, which is of course what a thermal camera delivers for us whether it's revealing where heat is lost in a building, suggesting better insulation might be required, or mammals in the landscape in the day or night, or even where rocks that are exposed in the landscape are still retaining heat from the daytime sun, and so showing a glow effect at night. In looking at thermal camera references on the web and wildlife filming at night on the web, all the material I found on a quick skim concentrates on seeing in the dark, Yes, that's important and a game-changer for us, as Aid said, but thermal cameras also help expose objects and animals in daylight as well. 
especially when we might not see those objects otherwise, so their use is perhaps underplayed on the web by missing the daylight applications. On the website for this episode, we put a very helpful article from the news website Mongabay on thermal imaging wildlife photography, and I'll quote this explanation of thermography from that piece. Thermal imaging, also known as infrared thermography, is a way to improve the visibility of objects, especially in a dark environment. Thermal cameras detect heat given off by a person or other objects and can capture the variation in temperature of objects. They create images of that radiation called thermograms, which display the relative temperatures of different objects from different shades or colours. In a thermogram, warm objects such as people, animals or cars stand out in contrast to often cooler backgrounds. OK, there are also some wildlife clips, including leopards at night, using a military-grade thermal camera linked on the website. And for our next episode, we also include a witness sighting using a thermal camera. But this is a military one, because we'll hear from a former soldier recounting his observation while training at night in an area of Dartmoor. That was several years ago, but it's useful to hear from that military experience. Also in that edition, we have our second witness from France of a big cat sighting there in a situation where he was with a couple of friends who also watched it. So it's a mixed bag with France and Dartmoor coming up. OK, it's time to sign off now, so thanks again to our guests Jane and to Aid with all their help for this edition, and thanks to Annie for making the connection for us. Thank you for listening, everyone. As ever, take care and bye for now. <laughs>